Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium podcast, episode 97. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Keith Williams, every week. We feature professionals in the skill trades, business owners, educators, people giving real world advice. I have three requests. If you enjoyed the podcast and it brought you value, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, perhaps write a review and share one thing you enjoyed or found value on. It gets a lot of support and it means the world to me and I really appreciate if you could support me. Thank you again for tuning in. So let's get on with the show. Today's guest grew up in a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. He is a leader in education with over 20 years experience. He understands the importance and the value of technical skills and how they create opportunities for students. He enjoys helping people enhance their financial well-being. And that was something he told me, actually told me as we were having a conversation. So I felt that was very important to mention. What makes him successful in his job is he keeps his students' success at the heart of his decisions. He's most proud of becoming an Aspen Fellow, and during his free time, he enjoys smoking ribs and briskets on his Traeger smoker. Please welcome the provost of Dunwoody College of Technology, Scott Stallman. Scott, how are you today? Doing well, doing well. Thank you. How are you doing this morning? Great, great. Scott, I got to ask you, tell us about the Aspen Fellow. I think there are a lot of people who are not even aware that this is something that is in education. It's it's a prestigious award, and I really felt uh, you should share that with folks. Yeah, the Aspen Presidential Fellowship is something that the Aspen Institute does every year, basically selecting, I believe it's about 40 of uh, folks from across the country who work at uh, community and technical colleges who show great promise and uh, are kind of leaders in that field and the way that they see it, these, these folks are going to be future presidents. And so part of the program is about preparing them for that leadership role. But I would say the bigger part of the program is really connecting them with other leaders and discussing some of the, the most prescient issues in higher education today. And one of those being the skills gap, certainly. The achievement gap, there's a variety of things that, uh, that higher ed has to, in front of us to address. They're very important and pressing issues. And, and it was just great to be a part of a program that uh, really understands the importance of quality, accessible higher education in America and what it can do to transform our society. Definitely, definitely. And we know we've got to really close that skills gap. Something, you know, you mentioned to me when we were talking is that in 2025, there's going to be drop-off in high school graduates. So we know that this is important. Now, I'm, I'm glad that as educators, you are aware of that because it does give you the opportunity to kind of address it. And that's going to impact the economy. Those organizations that are hiring have to plan for that. Yeah, we're extremely aware of that at Dunwoody College of Technology. I think our entire leadership team, our faculty, um, everyone who works here understands that we have a big part to play in helping to solve this enormous problem that uh, lays in front of us. You know, every single one of the programs at Dunwoody when the pandemic hit were deemed essential. So all of these programs, all these fields that we're preparing students for are considered essential fields for a reason. Our country needs people who know how to weld. Our country needs engineers. You look at 
you know, you can look at uh, any of the, it's not just supply chain issues, right? We have labor shortages, tremendous labor shortages that are causing all kinds of problems already. You know, within the next five years, there's going to be tremendous amounts of folks retiring in a lot of these fields. And we need folks to step in and fill those positions to continue to produce at the levels we need to produce in this country. Okay. Hey, let's go back a little bit. Why did you choose to go into education? You know, I, like so many others, didn't know at first that I, I wanted to be in, in education. And I think a lot of us in our 20s, a lot of folks in their 20s, maybe don't know exactly what they want to do. Looking back, I think maybe I did know, but for whatever reason, I, I wasn't making, making the move. I spent about 10 years in the private sector after my undergraduate degree. I worked in advertising. I worked in training and development for different corporations. I worked as a recruiter. But it wasn't until I was offered a job as a director of a career services department at a small college in St. Louis that I kind of found my place in the world. I loved helping students find jobs and begin their careers, connecting employers with you know, really great graduates and interns. I also love teaching courses. I love teaching. I was, I was able to teach classes there for uh, the four and a half years that I was there. And, you know, in that role, I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in higher education. It's just, it, it's just one of those things that once I found it, I was like, oh, yeah. And looking back, the things that I enjoyed most about my jobs previously were you know, my training and development stuff, you know, where I was in a classroom and I was, I was getting to create curriculums and I was, you know, I was sure, sure it was in a corporate sector. It wasn't in a, a college, but it was the same thing. It was about um, learning and development and uh, adult education. And, and the, in, the, in retrospect, looking back, I was passionate about it even then when I was in the private sector. I also think for you, the sense that I get is that you like to see the results of the work that you do because you can see yeah. the students are successful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is my favorite time of year. And, and, and you know, people who work in, in education have different times of year that they love. Some folks really love, you know, the beginning of a new fall term and the way that that feels and, and all the promise that goes with. But I, I tell you, I love the end of a spring term. Graduation, you know, the weather is great. You know, I, I've spent most of my career in the Midwest. And, you know, the weather at the beginning of a spring term, you know, it's, it's January and it, it's, you know, the dog days of winter. And then by the end, you know, spring is here. People, students are graduating. They have, you know, their parents are coming, you're coming in, you have a family coming in from out of town to celebrate with them. You know, everybody comes together in this place to celebrate the students' achievements. And the great thing about working at this college at Dunwoody is, is 95% of our students have jobs. You know, like they're, they're, they know where they're going after graduation. There's no question. There's not, hey, I figure I'll work for a little while. I'm not sure where yet. It's no, they have jobs. In fact, you know, the vast majority of them have multiple offers. So uh, they're excited. And most, I don't want to say most, but many of them have already worked at the company that they're going to be working at after college. So they already have that connection. And a lot of times the, their boss or whoever it is that they're going to be working with or the people that they have been working with in their internship come to the graduation to celebrate along with them. So yeah, it's, it, that, it, you're right. I really love that sort of seeing the results of all that hard work and just the promise that goes with that is just fantastic. Definitely. It's got high level overview for folks who don't know. Tell us what you do. What's your job? What do you do? Yeah, provost is one of those titles that nobody really knows what we do. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I, I, we send out emails to the students that says office of the provost. And I wonder, oh gosh, you know, I wonder well, I'm what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, the responsibilities of a provost vary from college to college. But, you know, generally it's the person who has the second greatest scope 
of responsibility in an institution behind the president or the chancellor, if they call the president the chancellor. This is, it's true at Dunwoody here. You know, I'm the chief academic and student affairs officer at the college. So I oversee all the academic programs and as well as all of the student affairs functions at the college. So from advising students through what programs we offer, all of the, the academic work that's done here, lectures to labs, um, all of that kind of, all of those, those functions report up through my office. Okay. Essentially, folks, he runs the school. He runs the program. Yeah, the president's always the person who's running things. But yeah, I think that that in general, yeah, I have a, a pretty a provost has a pretty wide scope at a college. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I think that one of the best kept secrets is that career opportunities in technical colleges provides. I think that's one of the best kept secrets. Can you please share why parents should encourage children to consider a career in technical colleges? Yeah, I mean, I think that. You know, when a person is selecting or considering what college to choose and, and what to what education or training they need to enter into the world of work, it's more important now than it was, say, 30 years ago to really understand the return on that investment. And I do say that investment. Uh, higher education is an investment in yourself. And you're saying, okay, I'm going to invest this, in many cases, a large amount of money for most people, right? And with the notion that this will have some value financially, as well as obviously, you know, internally with you you enjoying what you do, of course, enjoying your life, but also financially, right? That's, That's important when you're making such a large investment that, yes, it's going to amount to something. Right, that I can be happy with for and and will help me start my career in something that I'm going to enjoy. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You know, when I went to college a long time ago, tuition was far lower than it is today. the The cost of higher education is far outpaced in inflation. Uh, we know this, and there are a variety of reasons that we can get into. It's probably another story for another podcast, but it's the truth. You know, it, it certainly uh, the cost of higher education has gone up dramatically. So when I was in college, I could pay my tuition by working a part-time job in the summertime. And like, and, and that is not possible at uh, uh, many institutions across the country today. I remember I read a book that I really enjoyed over the summer by a Russian author, Nabokov. He wrote a bunch of books. If you like books, you probably know Nabokov. But regardless, I was like, oh, there's this history of modern Russia class I'm going to take, right? And I, I remember I just signed, I registered for it and I took this class. It had nothing to do with my degree program, had nothing to do with anything. It was just straight enjoyment, right? I just wanted to learn more about it. And the stakes weren't that high. The tuition wasn't that high. I could pay for it for, you know, was within my realm to pay for that class as, you know, part-time bartender, right? The stakes were low. Now that class would cost a lot more. I would not be able to cover that with a part-time job as well as my living expenses and all the other things that go with it, right? So the stakes of taking a random class here and there for enjoyment have gone way up, right? So, you know, the, when you, unless it's directly contributing to your degree program, it's a big question mark. Also, the, the good thing today is, is I can find incredible content online for free from some of the world's foremost academics on the history of modern Russia. 
you know? So all that said, students should have a focus and a reason they're making this investment in themselves. And I believe that, you know, the skilled trades is something that should be considered. Our graduates tell us again, time and again that not only is, are these fields incredibly lucrative comparatively, they also feel extremely happy and fulfilled in these careers. For one thing, generally, they can work as much or as little overtime as they like in a lot of these careers. They, they see a finished product oftentimes at the end of the day. If you don't like sitting at a desk, these are careers that are fantastic for you. You know, I mean, this is, and, and we, we hear from them that they're earning a living that can support them in their life goals. And, and I shared with you in our conversation, you know, the Georgetown study on, on return on investment. Our, study, our, our students are in the top 5%, our graduates are in the top 5% in the country on return on investment in their education. In general, they don't have a problem paying back any student loans. You know, our, our student loan a default rate is far lower than other institutions uh, is. We have our placement is 95%. Our students are getting over 14 or 13, 14 job offers per student. And, and you know, if you have $150,000 in student loan debt at the end of your degree program, and that degree isn't marketable, that can contribute to a great deal of unhappiness regardless of how passionate you were about the subject that you studied for. So, you know, I hear a lot of people, oh, I was really passionate about this. So I, you know, I went to college for it and, you know, the degree cost me $150,000 and now I, I don't really have a career, but they're very passionate about that, that field of study. That's a very expensive passion, yes. right? That's a very yes. expensive passion that you're going to be paying for for the rest of your life. And I think that considering some of these these fields, they can be creative. I think a lot of times folks look at the skilled trades and like, oh, you're, you know, where's the creativity? There's a tremendous amount of creativity in these fields. Tremendous amount of creativity in these fields. I mean, and you know, it, some folks look at the skilled trades and go, oh, these are dangerous professions. They're not. They're not. I was on a manufacturing floor not too long ago, and uh, factories in America today are very different than they were 50 years ago. These are the you could eat off those floors, you know. I mean, it was impeccable. So yeah, these I tell all all parents all of this and more when it comes to the skill trades. I'm sorry, I kind of went on and on there. No, nah, that's okay. And I'll tell you another thing too with the skill trades, you have work that you can do without having a traditional nine to five job. Because listen, you guys have a program. You guys have a couple of programs here. You've got a automotive program. Everybody has cars. Last time I checked, I, I, I shouldn't say everybody, but. A lot of people in this country have cars. Those cars need to be fixed. Someone will always pay you to fix their car. Someone will always pay you to fix their plumbing, their electric. So even as you're acquiring these, these skill sets, you have the ability to earn income without a traditional nine to five job. And let's not forget, these jobs are in high demand. So you can still get a job and still be able to earn additional income. Plus you can save money because you can fix a lot of the problems that you have in your own home. I mean, they're just in such high demand. I mean, you think of our cars today. They're really just big computers driving around. Yes, they are. You know, so, some of the latest and greatest technologies is in vehicles. And most of our automotive students are going to tell you that the most important tool that they have is their laptop. Yes. And they're using to diagnose the problems and troubleshoot issues in the car. You know, it, so, so these, as technology advances, these, de these degree programs become even more important. The construction field, you know, they're, they're training people to run job sites, design projects, estimate work. This takes a high degree of technical know-how, you know, uh, software experience. Things aren't done with paper and a pencil anymore. 
They're 3D designed and mapped. Surveyors use high-tech equipment using GPS devices and 3D laser scanning technology and drones. I mean, surveyor, you know, being a surveyor is an old field. Abraham Lincoln was a surveyor right? Before he was a lawyer, he was a surveyor. The thing is, is he wasn't using GPS and 3D laser scanning technology and drones to do that. We do it differently today. And, and these folks are, are highly paid, high demand, terrific fields. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what are the challenges you see for new high school students making the transition? So imagine I'm a student and I'm listening to you and I'm like, I want to go to your school. What are the challenges that they're going to have making the transition from high school to one of your programs? I think our students tend to do pretty well. And part of it is, you know, this, this is fertile ground, honestly, for study because our students tend to be successful, more successful than I've seen at other colleges that I've worked at. Our student success rates tend to be high. Our graduation rates tend to be high in comparison to other our, to, to your colleges out there. And I think part of the reason why is because they feel like they belong here because they definitely they, they know what their path is. They're like, oh, I've always wanted to be an architect. I and I'm you know I'm now I'm here to be an architect. So they're you know they have that focus. Like yeah, this next step is college. I'm gonna be an architect. The thing is, is and I'll say this about college level work in general. It's different than high school level work. Is that you know I think when students look at college, they're like, oh, I'll be in class only 15 hours a week. I, in high school, I was in class 35 hours a week. I know college is gonna be easy. You know, I in class 15 hours a week, all that free time, I can do that. At 18 years old, if you're a traditional age college student, a lot of just traditional age college students struggle with the, the sort of consistency and the self-control it takes to manage that free time that quote unquote free time, because it's really not free, right? You're doing project work and you're doing, uh, you know, you're, you're studying for classes that are challenging, but those are, that's on you to do that, right? It's kind of your first foray into adulthood where you're, where you have to, you know, block out time and say, this is taking priority at a time in their lives when developmentally, they might struggle with some of those things. You know, you, you, some of the research around, uh, the, you know, when, how, how the brain develops in, in males, for instance. Uh, I don't think a, a human brain and a man is in general uh, fully developed until they're about 24. And you're talking of the frontal lobe where the decision making is made, which is why when I was 18, 19 years old, I didn't make great decisions when I was in college at the, you know, at the very beginning. And you see so many college students kind of going off the rails there. Now, the good thing about a college like Dunwoody is, is you're here a lot. Because you have to be in our labs to get the, you, you have to be in, in our labs to get the projects done. So, you know, whereas other degree programs, you know, you, you take it, you get to go home and you're doing the work at home and you're by yourself and maybe you've got a thousand different distractions. Whereas here, you know, our students studying to be electricians, they're doing a lot of their project work in our labs. Welders are doing a lot of the project work in our weld shop. You know, automotive technicians are doing the project work in, in our shops, in our auto shops. So in that case, that, that case is true. Our architecture students are in our studio, um, you know, working in the studio. So, you know, being at a college where a lot of that project work gets done at the college where, you know, you're, you're here and you're, you know, that can help, I think, in a lot of ways, deter some of those things that can get you kind of off track in those first couple of years. 
Yeah, I also feel like they probably feel more like they're on the job because the learning is very hands-on. And and many of them are on the job. The purpose, you know, yeah, uh, and that's true. And many of them are on the job. You know, many of our students work in field. So that, that they understand what the stakes are, that, you know, that this is an extremely important thing that they have to give priority to. That's another thing. So the belongingness, the priority of being, you know, feeling like you're on a job and really liking what you do. And then also the fact that a lot of them are working in field while they're in school, I think creates an environment where distractions away from what they need to be focused on aren't as intriguing. How does, like, one of the things we also talked about was you know, and I've talked to other educational institutions about this. We have vulnerable populations. We have folks who are, who don't, who are not in a good financial position, who have children, who just have everyday challenges of life. What are some of the things that you do as a school to, to support these students? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest issues uh, in higher education today is ensuring that we provide we help students you know, get the support that they need to be successful at the institution. You know, we, at Dunwoody, we've got a number of scholarship programs that specifically address things like childcare and transportation needs, for instance. So uh, students who, who have those needs, they can qualify for, for that, those supports. We have a women in technical careers program that not only provides scholarships for recipients, but includes a childcare stipend if needed. We have a Pathways to Career program that specifically supports underserved and under-resourced students with scholarship and a variety of different wraparound supports. And it's interesting because, you know, I came here and one of the things that I noticed, you know, when you, when you come in, that a lot of these fields that Dunwoody's preparing students for traditionally you know, and historically have been held by men. And that's problematic. Because you can't, you, for a variety of reasons, there are moral problems with that, obviously, ethical problems with that. There's also economic problems with that because you can't solve a skills gap with under half the population. But we have to, you know, support women in these fields. And women have to feel like they belong and they're supported in these fields. And they're not othered, you know. So, you know, we started our Women in Technical Careers program a number of years ago, and um, over that course of time, we've doubled the, the female population at Dunwoody. You know, that said, we're still not where we need to be. You know, only two out of ten of our students, one in five, are, are female. That's uh, impressive, though. You just said you doubled it, and you only have two out of ten. That's... Yeah, I mean, it's we, we need to get to the point where, you know, it's re more reflective of our society. So we know that we still have a ways to go, but we have seen steady growth, right? So we look at the strategies we used and, you know, do the women who come to Dunwoody feel like they belong, feel supported, feel, feel supported. And what are the outcomes? Because outcomes are always the indicator of that. And that's one thing I was concerned with when I, when I started. What are the outcomes of women at this college? And, and when I looked, the retention rates and the graduation rates for women at Dunwoody are the same as they are for men. What about the companies? Are they hiring the women just as much as the men? Like, oh, the yeah. Women? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're getting job offers, great job offers. We have actually a woman speaking at our graduation this year. You know, she's off to Boston Scientific, you know, after graduation. That's a pretty incredible company after a two-year degree program. And, and you know, some, some people might think it's counterintuitive for people in a minority group like women are, not only at the college, but often in the profession they're training to be a part of, you know, to do that well and i think it's because we're really intentional about and intentional about ensuring women feel like they belong here at dunwoody that we have spaces for them to come together 
We have strong mentorship programs, connecting them with industry to ensure they have multiple touch points should they run into some obstacles to their success. And um, the thing is, is when we, and we continue to refine that those approaches and to improve. And then when we look to other populations who might be underrepresented that we would like to grow those numbers, we can we can see what some of those successes have been in the women with te- in technical career programs and scale them. And then also continue to listen and engage those populations about what might be unique to their population they might be struggling with and understand how we can improve our support services there. A lot of this work is about listening and it's about really understanding your students and their needs and trying to uh, give them the support system because they're going to flourish. They want these degree programs. They want to do well. They have great work ethics. That None of that's the issue. None of that. It's all making sure that they have what they need so they don't get derailed by something that's completely out of their control. I agree. I agree 100% because, you know, the programs are going to deliver results. It's just you've got to be able to remove some of those barriers and obstacles. So that makes sense. I remember you talked about the capstone experience. Uh, can you please tell us about that? Because I think that's a big deal and that's really something folks should know about. One thing we want our students to be able, all of our graduates, a, a very, a core aspect of who we are is we want a Dunwoody graduate to leave this college, start day one on the job and be able to do that job. And that is that is something that we've always been about throughout our history and it continues to be the thread that drives us. We are not interested in in developing graduates and then them having to learn on the job for an additional year or two before they can actually be productive, which honestly, when we when we started our engineering program, that's why we started it. We had huge employers in Twin Cities area coming to us saying the engineering students that we're getting from four year, other four-year universities have the theory down, they have the math down, they don't know how to be engineers. We have to train them. Can you graduate engineers that can start day one? And we took that on and we can and we do. And that, that it's because of these senior projects. Usually, you know, these, these projects are of the student's own choosing. They're approved by faculty, obviously. For programs like electrical, these have been things like electric bikes, mechanical drafting and design capstone projects, or things like e-scooters, espresso machines, fire pits with uh, built-in speakers and surround systems. And in welding, seniors have created working guitars and, and smokers, which is something uh, close to my... <laughs> Close to my own hobbies. But, in, you know, the thing is, is it's different, though. And I'll give you an example. I sat in on a, a capstone project in a class where interior design students worked with mechanical drafting and design students to design and build a chair. And that chair, kind of the idea of the chair began with a design concept. And they started with a the, the yellow Timberland boot that so many people are familiar with. It's kind of just you know, the, the, the shoe, right? The boot, the Timberland yellow boot. And they said, okay, what does this boot represent? You know, so, so it had all of those things that you might see in a school of design where they take something, one thing, and they're like, okay, if the Timberland boot became a chair, what would that look like? You know, what would that be? So you would see that in a school of design, right? And then they came up and they, with, and they together, they designed a chair. And you might see that at a, another college. And then they built the chair. You might even see that at another college, okay? You, you see, and then you get to see the chair and they talk about the build. The thing is, is that's different about this place is that our students did all that, but they also analyzed the ergonomics of the chair. 
with the help of our industrial design, our industrial engineering faculty. They sourced and costed different materials for the chair, working with manufacturing engineering faculty to assess how the chair could move through a manufacturing process. Then they redesigned the chair so they could scale production of the chair. Because it's one thing to build one chair, but is that chair something that could be actually manufactured in the real world, built in the real world, uh, shipped in the real, packaged in the real world? How are you going to package the different parts of the chair? Are, you know, when people put the chair together, they're going to be 50 different steps, or can you get that down to where there's only six easy steps for people to put it together, right? These are all things, these are all questions that have to be answered in the real world. And these are the things that our students had to answer, right? And the chair went through multiple redesign phases. They considered cost of materials, strength of materials, durability. You know, could a guy like me, as big as me, can I sit in the chair? Or is it just going to have to be, you know, small people that can sit in the chair, right? You know, so by the end of the project, they'd worked with welders, machine tool technicians, CNC technicians, industrial design, architecture faculty, manufacturing and automation, mechanical drafting and design faculty and students. They've done it. They did all that for one project. That's the real world, right? That's collaboration. You don't get to just create an idea and say, oh, this chair is awesome. And the chair might be awesome, but it's a one-off, right? It's a one-off. I found it so amazing because what I thought about when you shared that story with me, and thank you for sharing it, is I thought about entrepreneurship and I thought about creativity. And I said, if you have creativity, that is a game changer in the world we live in. Everything we have has been created by somebody. I just think creatives, I think we, we underestimate the value and power of people who create things. Yeah, you know, and I think that like, you know, certainly, you know, yeah, I, when I was in college, they were like, oh, you, you, you know, you want a, something that's creative, you know, you should take this creative writing class or you should take this art class. And, and there's no doubt that writing creatively and taking an art class, those things are creative. But I think that people so often just diminish the amount of creativity that exists in these skill trades. You know, from design to manufacture to the packaging to distribution, you are solving problems in creative, very creative ways all the time. You're trying to find ways to, to become more efficient. You're trying to find ways to build something better. You're trying to find ways to improve the product for the consumer. This all takes creativity. Tremendous amounts of creativity. And, and, it's a, and it's really rewarding at the end of the day when you come out with something uh, that's better, that's more improved. I mean, it, it's a, it, these, these fields are really just so rewarding. No, I agree. I agree 100%. Speaking of which, uh, for the young person listening and somebody who's changing careers, can you share some resources, whether they be a website, a group, or association? Because there's a lot of information online, but let's kind of narrow this down where people can learn about skill trades programs that you have, but they well, can learn I, you about know, There's lots to, you know, there's, you know, one thing I mentioned earlier was when, you know, students are making decisions about college, you know, there, there are lots of different places out there that rank colleges, right? But look at what they're using to rank the college, right? Um, sometimes these folks are using things like uh, what the average ACT score is. And I ask myself, what do I care what the person next to me's ACT score is? You know, like, how does that affect me and the job I'm going to get when I get out of college in my career? That's pretty specious, right? Like, why is that 
a, you know, one of the things that you're using to rank colleges. So I, I direct students to things like the College Scorecard, and that's collegescorecard.ed.gov. So collegescorecard.ed.gov. That's a really good way that you can compare results for uh, colleges that you're considering. The Georgetown University study that I cited earlier, that's a cew.georgetown.edu. That's a really great study that they did on the return on investment for colleges across the country. I think they looked at over 4,500 colleges and universities looking at, you know, the cost of the college versus what you can plant, what you can make in that career over the course of 10 years, 15 years. 20 years, 30, I think they even did 40 years out if you, if you care, right? And you can really look at, okay, if I go here, here's what I can plan to make over my career, the actual dollar amount. So if, if, it, if it's financial value of education, something you're looking at, that Georgetown University study is something really great. Our news blog at dunwoody.edu slash news is fantastic. Our Instagram feed is, is great. And that's just at Dunwoody College on Instagram and our main site, dunwoody.edu are great. Those are all great resources for students who are thinking about Dunwoody for their college education and training. Definitely. Well, Scott, what we'll do, we'll make sure we have it listed in the uh, notes for the podcast. So for anybody listening, look in the notes of the podcast. I'll make sure I get those links just in case somebody might have missed it. Uh, Scott, final question. Please share how people can find you and your school and learn more about your programs. Dunwoody.edu. It's the best place to go. You can learn all about our programs. You can get in touch with an admissions person. You can get in touch with a faculty member if you just want to ask questions about the field. You know, heck, you can get in touch with me if you like. I'll, I'll sit down and talk to anybody about this stuff. I, I really love it. Excellent. Excellent. Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I wish you continued success in the work you do. And uh, thank you again. You have a fantastic day. You too. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.